Pray with me, please. Lord Jesus, I, I pray, Lord, for your Holy Spirit, that your Spirit would come and, and give us eyes to see and ears to hear, to understand. Understand what, what you want us to learn here, to, to speak to our hearts, Lord, to change us, to illuminate the Scripture, especially as we, we have a, a, a difficult, hard saying of Jesus Christ when he, when he talks about the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Lord, I, I pray, Lord, that you would lead me and guide me and, and help me do my best to, to explain this, this difficult saying here, Lord, and give us understanding. We, uh, we want to know what it means also, Lord, to be your true family, your, your brothers and your sisters and, and your mother. Be with us today, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can have a seat. So, looking for my notes here, this is a continuation in what Mark has been doing already. If you haven't caught the, this reg, the line of thought that Mark is trying, what he's trying to communicate, it's very clear. He's, he's announcing the good news of the gospel. And the gospel, according to Mark and also according to Jesus, is the gospel of the kingdom, right? It's the gospel that we have a king. It's a gospel about the rule and reign of Jesus Christ, right? And, and Jesus came to bring his kingdom, right? That's why Jesus says, repent and believe. The kingdom of God is at hand. He's announcing the, the arrival of the king and all his kingdom promises, right? The Old Testament promises that there would be a king that would come and, and redeem his creation. Redeem everything that was broken by sin and, and man's rebellion. And he promised also one day that he would restore all things and, and he would make it like it was always supposed to be. Right? Restoration with our relationship with God. Restoration, peace within, be, between mankind. Restoration, uh, creation. Right, the creation would be restored, and then restoration within ourselves, right? And, and so that's what Jesus is coming to do, and he, and then he's showing his his authority. Mark is is intentionally ordering this gospel to to tell us the story of who Jesus is and to demonstrate his authority. So, right, we see Jesus's teaching authority. We see Jesus's authority over the spiritual realm. He's able to cast out demons and and shut the mouths of demons. He's able to, to, over the physical world, to forgive or to heal. And, and even the, the spiritual, right? He's able to forgive sin. And then we see these, these, uh, these repeated conflicts. We see the conflict of uh, him saying that he can forgive sin, right? They say, hey, only God can forgive sin because they don't believe he's God. The, the religious leaders, the Pharisees, they're, they're upset that he's uh, uh, hanging out with tax collectors and, and sinners and eating with them. They're upset that he's feasting and he's not fasting like all the other religious folks. They're upset that he's breaking their Sabbath rules. And two weeks ago, we saw Jesus heal someone on the Sabbath and they want to kill him, right? And so today, we're going to pick up another conflict. It's interesting, though, that because this conflict includes Jesus' family, his mother and his brothers, and other translations tell us, his sisters even, possibly. So 
And, and, and what we're going to learn is that Jesus' true family embraces Jesus as king and do his will, which is to repent and believe. And uh, there's, a, there's a really cool thing that I learned about this. And, and, it, and it enabled me to read this section of Scripture like I've never read it before. If you even look at your Bible, the way that it's ordered, you see a, a big title between the 20 and 21 and then there's the the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit section, is cut off. But what's going on here is what's called a Markin sandwich. And it's a a style of writing that Mark uses nine times in these scriptures. And if you've ever seen a movie that it's telling one story beginning to end, and then it plugs in different little scenes to to explain the story, that's what a Markin sandwich is. So it's an ABA format. Or you can eat, if you think about it as a sandwich, the story is the bread, A, and the, the meat is inserted to help uh, illustrate, to bring out a greater understanding to the story Mark's telling. Well, usually the first part of this is cut out from this section. It, but it brings great, it, uh, when you read it this way, it, it, it unlocks a lot of cool uh, insights. So, so here we are, the bread. Right? Verses 20 and 21. The bread is, the scene is Jesus has come home. He's not in his, his, his physical home. He's not in his house or his family's house. He's come home to Capernaum or to Nazareth. Right? He's come home to Nazareth and him and his disciples are inside of a home and they can't eat because this huge crowd has gathered and Jesus' mother and brothers are outside. They want to seize him and drag him home. That's what it tells us. And they, and they want to drag him home. They want to take him home because they think he's out of his mind. They think Jesus is crazy, right? He's gone, he's gone nuts. And, and I, I try to think about this story from their perspective because they had to have seen Jesus do some pretty amazing things growing up and, and being this amazing person, you know, uh, Think about it, you know, if one of your kids never sins, how amazing he would be. But also they saw him as a, a normal human being that lived 30 years, you know, in, in their household. And he worked as a carpenter. And, and, and so I got to imagine they got this, this conflict. And right here we see they're operating in some disbelief of Jesus. And they, they think he's gone crazy. Come on, Jesus. We know you're a great guy, but you've taken it too far. You got to cut it out with all this king stuff and, and calling people to repent and, and doing all, you know, ca- causing all this controversy. Come on, Jesus, we got to get home. Settle down. Come on, just, come on, we'll go back to life as normal. We'll pretend nothing ever happened. You got to imagine how they're thinking. And then the interesting thing is, then Mark goes on to a, another story, and he'll come back to the, the rest of the story. So the second part, this is the meat. Mark goes to a a scene with the, where the scribes have come down from Jerusalem. Now, when you, if you, it's interesting that Nazareth is north of Jerusalem, but the scribes have come down from Jerusalem. That's not a contradiction. Anytime you, you, you leave Jerusalem, you always come down because it's up on a hill. So the scribes come down. And you've got to understand, these are the other, other scriptures say scribes of the Pharisees, so these are part of the Pharisees group, part of the religious group. But these are varsity religious folks. 
right? These are from Jerusalem. That's the, that's the main hub, right? That's where the temple's at. So these are the varsity of the religious folks, and they come down, and they accuse Jesus. Two accusations, right? The two accusations are, one, that Jesus is possessed by a Beelzebul, which is Satan, right? That's a pretty big accusation. And the second accusation is that he casts out demons by the power of demons. Crazy, ludicrous, ridiculous accusations. False accusations at Jesus. And it's even crazier when you, when you consider the work that Jesus was doing. In Matthew eleven five, John the Baptist doubts Jesus. But he sends word through his disciples, and here's what he says about his ministry. I want to read this to you. He says, The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. Right? Jesus is, is transforming people's lives. He's setting them free. He's healing them. He's doing all these amazing things. And they're saying, this is Satan's work? Is, are these guys crazy? That's just ridiculous. And so Jesus responds with two parables here. Right, two parables. He has three responses, but the first two are parables. The first one is, is this parable about a house or a kingdom or, or Satan's house being divided. Any kind of kingdom or house divided against itself, right, that's in civil war is going to crumble it's going to fall right no house can stand when it's divided against itself jesus is saying and jesus is in a sense saying come on guys satan even satan has a little more common sense than that to to destroy his own work right set all these people free and do all these amazing beautiful things satan wouldn't do that that's common sense the second thing is, a, is another kind of a pr very practical kind of line of thinking. And he, what he's saying here is, is no one can plunder a strong man's house unless you tie up the strong man first. Right? The idea is like, hey, if you're going to plunder my house, you're going to have to go through me first. Right? If anyone wants to rob someone's house, they're going to have to tie up the man of the house because he's going to protect it. Right? And so that's what Jesus is saying. But the interesting here, thing here is, is Jesus is saying that he himself, he's describing his ministry. He's saying, I have bound Satan. And it doesn't mean he necessarily physically bound Satan, but Jesus is, is so great and so glorious, so, so powerful, that Satan is powerless against him. And he, what he is saying here is, is, and I'm plundering the house of Satan. That's what I'm doing. I'm not doing the work of Satan by the power of demons. No, I'm plundering Satan's house. I'm destroying his work. I'm reversing the effects of the fall. I'm re redeeming and, and restoring all things. That's what Jesus is doing. And the scriptures back this up. In Luke 4.18, if you, you, you might want to look at it, very powerful verse. Jesus opens the scroll of, I believe it's Isaiah, and he reads this, and, and, he, and he says, this is me, and this is my ministry, basically. He says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, 
because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So right, you see in this scripture right here, Jesus is again, he's describing the promises that he would fulfill. And they're describing him setting the captives free, freeing those who are oppressed. Right? That's describing him plundering the house of Satan. And the interesting thing here is you see this idea of, of slavery, right? oppression. Sin is slavery. Sin is always slavery. Our culture believes that, that, that true freedom is found from throwing off God, right? Totally being autonomous and, and being able to do whatever I want to do. That's what our culture believes freedom is, right? That where I can have control of my life and I can make all my decisions, I can do what I want and no one gets to tell me otherwise. That's what our culture, that's what even our, our hearts want to tell us, right? That's true freedom, but that's not true freedom. That's, that's slavery. That's oppression. And, and especially in our culture, the greatest of all the freedoms in our culture is freedom of sexual fulfillment. Our culture believes that, that no one should be able to tell me who, who I should or shouldn't have sex, who I should or who shouldn't have sex with. Right? Our culture thinks no one can tell me that. No one, can, no one has the authority to tell me what gender I am, who I have sex with, you know, whether it's male or female, because they, they believe freedom is found in, in their sexual expression. And, and I tell you, it's not freedom. It's slavery. It's destroying people's lives. And that's all it will do. Uh, I saw the Bruce Jenner interview. I don't know if you guys saw this interview. Bruce Jenner is is a uh, is a uh, you know celebrity, this great uh, Olympian, right? He won the Olympics, I think, in 1977, and he was an American hero. And now they're they're saying he's an American hero because he's basically abandoning his family to pursue his sexual desires, right? That that's not freedom. He's destroying. He's leaving a wake of destruction behind him to pursue his own sexual desires, you know. And so uh, it's been bothering me <laughs> the last few days. And, and so I just, I, I just hope you see that, that that's not freedom, right? True freedom is found in Christ, right? Colossians 1.13, he says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the, the kingdom of of his blood, beloved son. Right? True freedom is found in Christ. True freedom, the scripture tells us, is, is losing our life. Right? We lose our life and we gain it. True, true freedom is found in laying down our desires, our own fleshly sinful desires, and having right desires in Christ. Renewed desires. That's true freedom. And that's why Christ came to, to set us free. So Jesus moves on to this, this third section, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, right? This is one of the hard sayings of Jesus. And so a lot of people 
read this verse 29 and, and get caught up in the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, but they, they fail to read 28. You have to make sure you read 28 to read the context of this because 28 tells us basically that all sins and all blasphemies will be forgiven. Right? So all sin can be forgiven. Right? Christ's, the blood of Jesus Christ, the grace of Jesus Christ is, is able to cover any sin. And all sin will be forgiven for anyone who would repent and believe in Jesus. Right? That, that's, the, that's the gospel. That's, that's a clear statement. But then, he says in verse 29, but the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, someone that does that, never has forgiveness. It's an eternal sin. So some people might say, well, is Jesus contradicting himself there? And I would say, no. I, I think it, what, what's going on here is, is even this blasphemy is possible to be forgiven, right? All blasphemies, all sin will be forgiven, even this one. But this one will not be forgiven because someone who is committing the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit won't receive forgiveness, right? They won't repent and believe. They won't, they won't ask for forgiveness. They won't cry out to God, right? And so this is, you, you can't see this as a, a person who said something like bad about God or, or took God's name in vain and, and now they're just screwed for the rest of their life, right? And they're crying out, God, please forgive me. I'm sorry I did the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And God's saying, nope, sorry, buddy. You shouldn't have said that, right? That's, that is not the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is saying all sins, all of them. There's not any exception. But the per- and so you have to understand, what is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? And here's some ways we, we tried to de- de- define it in, uh, in the preaching collective with the other redemption pastors. Here's some of the things we, we came up with. It's willful rejection of God and His work. It's ongoing, persistent rejection of, of the work of the Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ. Right? It's unbelief and rejecting Christ. It's a prideful stand till the end. It's, a, it's a, lack of, a lack of repentance and spiritual pride is the only sin that can condemn you because you hold on to it till the end. And so if you refuse to listen to the, the Holy Spirit, right, this is important, if you re- re- refuse to listen to the temp- testimony of the Holy Spirit, there's no hope, right? And so the uh, frightening thing here is that these guys are very religious and moral, right? The Pharisees, the scribes of the Pharisees, and, and they're missing the gospel because they're, they're failure, failure to repent and believe in Jesus Christ. So, you know, this is a warning for us to not ignore the Holy Spirit in our life, especially when, when we're in unbelief and we haven't come to Christ and received His grace, right? It's a warning not to, to ignore it, right? Because anyone who stays in that persistent re- rejection and, and ignoring of the Spirit to the end, you know, doesn't, doesn't know Christ, doesn't submit to Christ Jesus. So if you're worried that you might have done this, you probably haven't done it because you wouldn't be worried about it if you, if, you, if you are committing the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, 
You'd just be totally rejecting Christ. I don't give a crap. I want to do what I want to do. All right. So we go back to the, the bread. We go back to the main part of the story. Right, we're going back to Jesus and his family. His family are still outside. They're, they send in word that they're out there, and, and someone comes to Jesus and says, Hey, your mother, which is pretty interesting that Mary's out there trying to drag him home, right? Your, your brother, your brothers are outside, and, and they're calling for you. And Jesus says this, these powerful statements, right? He says, Well, who are my mother and my brothers and my sisters, right? He says, I tell you, here, here, his disciples, right? Everyone else is on the outside. His disciples are there with them, are my mother and my brother and my sisters. So we, it makes us have to ask, who's Jesus's, who are Jesus' true families? True family, not families. Here's three observations about Jesus' family. The first one is that not everyone is part of Jesus' family, Our uh, people tend to believe, or you hear this a lot in, in, in our culture, that, that everyone is a child of God. Right? Everyone's a child of God. But uh, according to this scripture and other scriptures in the Bible, it, it, it's pretty clear that not everyone is a child of God. Right? Jesus' own blood family is not automatically in just because they're blood. Right? The Jews who took great pride in, in their ethnicity, right, in being Jews, being Israel, are not in because we're saved by grace and not by race or ethnicity. And so today, no one is saved automatically because uh, of your family, because you grew up in a Christian family. Even my own children aren't automatically saved because they're children of, of a pastor, right? They have their own faith journey to, to go on, and I'm pointing them to Jesus, and I'm calling them to repent and believe in Jesus, right? No one is automatically, and you're not saved because you go to church automatically, saved because you go to church or because you're a good person or a moral person, right? Because Jesus' true family submit to his lordship. So that's point two. Jesus' true family submit to his lordship. And that's what Jesus is talking about here, right? Jesus is king and lord, and through repentance and belief, he's calling us to submit to him as king. Now, you'll notice here, there's an interesting thing going on here. Jesus' physical family, his, his family, right, his blood family, is trying to take charge of him. They're trying to control him. They want Jesus to, to, come on, Jesus, just do what we tell you, right? The religious folks are trying to control Jesus. They want to take charge of him. They want Jesus to, to fast like they fast, to, to observe the Sabbath like they observe the Sabbath, cut out all this stuff, right? Just conform to, uh, to our standards, what we want you to do, Jesus. They're trying to control him. And so his... His, his spiritual family, his true family, are those who allow Jesus to take control of them, right? Stop trying to control Jesus and let him control you. Let him become your king 
and you become a, a, a father or sister or brother. You, you, the, the point is you come into his family when you stop trying to control Jesus. So he says here, whoever does God's will is my mother and brother and sister, right? God's will is that you would repent and believe, that you would lay down your rights, that you would lay down your perceived freedom, which is only slavery, and surrender to the king who rescues us out of that. So here I want to show you guys this, this chart. This is a, a, a CTO study that a CTO is called to obedience. And what I love about this chart here, and you don't have to necessarily try to read everything, but it, it describes the root sin under all of our sins. Pride and unbelief, right? Unbelief is choosing to believe self or Satan, right? It's, it's choosing not to trust, believe God, His commands or His promises, right? It's disbelief. And if anyone wants it, you can email me, and I'll email it right out to you, right? It's, you're operating in disbelief. And, and so a lot of times what, I'm, what I've been preaching lately is I've been preaching the four G's, that God is good, God is great, God is gracious, God is glorious, because those truths attack our disbelief, right? The gospel attacks our disbelief. And then our root under all sin is pride, right? Pride says, I'm going to be my own authority. I'm going to be my own God. I want to be king, right? I will control my world, right? That's what we see going on in this story. That's what we see going on in every single one of our hearts when we're operating in the flesh. As believers, we still struggle with pride and unbelief when we're in the flesh, Right? I want to control my world, which leads to, to fear. Because anytime you're not trusting God, you're going to be fearful. Right? Fear of exposure, consequences, rejection, unknown future, failure, insecurity, stress, anxiety, all those things, which leads to, they call it self protective behaviors. I, I, I like to describe the outside as sinful behaviors and negative emotions. Right? Because our actions, our sinful behaviors on the outside are just symptoms of a deeper issue. And so, so a lot of times we're just trying to deal with the outside stuff, but we need to repent and come to Jesus and continual repentance and faith and address the heart issue, which is our pride and our disbelief in God and His promises. And the cool thing is, when we repent and believe, Repentance deals with our pride, right? Because repentance is, I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to control my world. And Jesus says, no, repent, believe, turn around, trust me, right? So repentance deals with our pride, and, and God humbles us. And then disbelief, God call, that's why God calls us to believe, right? That's why God calls us to faith, turn from the lies, turn to truth. That's what God's calling us. That's why repentance and faith Deal with our heart issues. And Christians keep coming in repentance and faith. Once for salvation, every day for sanctification. And we know what happens here? That fear becomes love. Right? Instead of living in fear, you, you start loving. Loving God. Loving others. Right? You obey God because you love Him. 
And on the out, outer circle, instead of sinful behaviors and negative emotions, what you start experiencing is the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Right? And that's true freedom. Right? God sets us free to love and to know Him. So the solution is always repent and believe. It's simple. Jesus doesn't make a, a crazy magic formula or, or a hard ten rules to, to figure all this out. He just says simply, repent and believe. Right? God opposes the proud. He gives grace to the humble. Right? Turn to the truth. The truth will set you free. The third truth here that I want to talk about Jesus' true family is. And so if anyone wants that, email me. Uh, I'll send that out. Jesus uh, sets sinners and blasphemers free and, and brings them into his family. Right? That's a, an amazing thought. You've got to think about that. Think about it. Sinners and blasphemers get to come into God's eternal kingdom family. Right? The, 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 the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit exist in community for all of eternity. God brings us in. They, they exist as family. And God brings us into that family in Christ. And Galatians 4.4, 4, you, you, you can turn there with me. There's this beautiful picture of, that kind of sums up everything I'm, I'm talking about today. Galatians 4.4. 4. It says here, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. Right? That's God taking sinners and blasphemies, prideful, unbelieving people, and bringing us into his family, redeeming us, which means setting us free, right? And then bringing us, adopting us as sons and daughters. And that's an amazing truth. And then God goes further than that, right? He didn't, doesn't just, just forgive us and all right, right? He, he fills us with His Holy Spirit. The Spirit indwells us. The Spirit is what we need to be able to have the fruit of the Spirit. We don't have fruit of the Spirit without the Spirit. And then we get to call God Abba Father, right? Which means Daddy. That's intimate relationship with the God, the Creator God of the universe. Right? That's what Jesus is doing. So I ask you, are you living like a child or are you living like a slave? Right? Slave to sin. Slave controlled by sin. Or are you, are you a child living in freedom in Christ Jesus? Right? A child trusts his father. A child knows his father loves him. A child lovingly submits to their father and obeys them. And a child gains, we gain our life by losing it to the father. 
Right? That's why God's kingdom is so upside down from what the world tells us. Because the world is going to continually tell us that we find our life by holding on, by controlling. And the gospel tells us, no, you find true life and true freedom by losing it to God. Right? And you, and you get all these amazing benefits brought into the family and, and set free. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, I, I, I pray, Lord, that we could, every one of us here, Lord, would be brought into your family. Lord, that we wouldn't miss this amazing truth, that we wouldn't miss the good news of the gospel. Lord, I, I pray that you would break us of our pride and our unbelief, Lord. Give us eyes to see and give us ears to hear, Lord. Pray for you to give us your Holy Spirit so that we're able, Lord, to come to you in faith and in repentance, Lord, and be changed. I pray that you would, I love that picture of you plundering the house of Satan, Lord. Drag us to yourself. That's the way you do it, Lord. You draw us unto yourself. You rescue us. None of us would come to you if you didn't rescue us, Lord. So we, we love you and worship you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.